0: How are you doing? Oh my gosh. Can you believe that it is August? We are like in Q3. It's almost Christmas. Like I, it's crazy to me how quickly this year has gone uh, and how much has happened. I I feel like the year has gone. I always feel like I'm living in slow motion and fast forward at the same time like so much is happening and there's still so much I wish that could happen and uh, I was recently talking to one of our new locations and she recently got certified and she said oh I'm really excited and overwhelmed at the same time and I thought yeah I get that I actually live in excited and overwhelmed And I love that space. That space gets me fired up and keeps me just stoked for life. And so I want to ask you guys, what makes you excited and overwhelmed? Or when was the last time you were excited and overwhelmed at the same time? Because I think that's where we grow. You know, we've got to find things that are interesting. They excite us. We're passionate about them. They, They, you know, light our fires. But we also have to be like nervous and like we're not quite sure how to do it because that's the uncomfortable piece, right? That's the out of our comfort zone that is going to allow us to grow and shape shift and learn, and you know get farther along in this journey. You know we don't we are not going to grow at all if we're not uh, getting into our out of our comfort zone. So you know I really encourage you guys to go find something anything that makes you overwhelmed and excited you know if you have been trying to or interested in something but you're like have no clue how to get started on that just start down the path if you you know research it if you really want to learn how to be a life coach, you know, you can go Google that and find an online course and take the first steps towards doing it. If you want to try a new hobby or if you want to get involved in a new sport or whatever, go do it. Like start pursuing it because the things in the back of your mind, those little like little hints of inspiration that that would be cool. Like so many people I talk to say, I wish I, oh, I'd love to write a book. I tell people that I've written a book and they so many people reply with, I've thought of writing a book. And I'm like, so what is it between, what's the difference between the people that write the book and don't write the book? Well, it's work, right? It's a lot of work and we don't know how to get it published and we don't even know maybe how to use Word properly to set it up to make it be like a book and we're not really good at grammar and we don't really know who we would have edited and we don't even know if our story's worth sharing. We don't even know if somebody would read it, right? So there's a whole bunch of things we don't know that are overwhelming, so we just don't do it. But the truth is that we write the book for us, right? We start the new hobby for us, right? So you just start writing it, however it is. You just get it out on paper. And then once the book's done, well, now you've got a flipping book. So you better go find somebody. You then Then you feel a lot less overwhelmed about figuring out how to self-publish because you've already got the work done. You've done the book. You don't have a problem getting somebody to edit it because you already have the book done. So you reach out to people and say, do you mind reading this for me? You don't mind figuring out how to get it in a format so that it can be published because you've already got the thing that you need to get in the right format. So the lesson is just start. And the things you need to start on are the things that make you excited but overwhelmed. What makes you excited but overwhelmed? I'll tell you, I recently just started uh, releasing online courses. First, I did the online course for mentors so that everybody that was a location could send their mentors to an online training and they didn't have to do the work anymore. And I knew that I needed with COVID to make our certification training online as well. But I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know a camera setup that I needed. I didn't know how to do microphones. I didn't know how to edit video. I certainly didn't know what platform to use to upload the videos to so that people could go through the course seamlessly, how they could submit assignments. Holy smokes, like I was overwhelmed, right? What did I do? I asked a couple people I knew about their setups that I knew that they did like videography and stuff like that. They suggested some pretty low cost options for me to use equipment, uh, you know, like using my own iPhone and getting a, you know, $50 ring light and stuff like that. Like the barrier to entry wasn't that difficult. Then I went on YouTube, looked at, you know, reviews on different online platforms and I watched several reviews and they said, you know, this one, when compared to this one has this function and this has this, these features and I made a decision based on free content that was out there on the internet. And then I shot a video and I started looking at YouTube on how to edit those videos in iMovie. So, you know, three weeks ago, a month ago, I didn't know how to make an online course. And today I have mentor training online and a 42 lesson certification course that people can use online and was it overwhelming yeah was it exciting hell yeah and now guess what I am I'm fired up because now I know that I can do something that wasn't that difficult I told my husband the other night that me getting my master's I'm like a semester away from getting my master's and I told him you know what my master's has given me you know what going back to school has given me? And he was like, well, a lot. I mean, more more job opportunities, a better resume, you know how to do evaluations. And I said, no, the number one thing it has given me is that I can tackle anything. Nothing is a big project to me anymore because I would have, you know, statistics homework and I would have papers due every week and I would have to write these long 25 page portfolios and evaluation reports. And honestly, I would look at a lot of my assignments and say, I have no clue what to hand in. I have no clue what to write. I have no clue how to do half this stuff. But guess what? I would sit down, I would dig into it because there was a deadline, and I would come up with something and I would turn it in. And guess what? I never got below an 80. So something that I thought I absolutely couldn't do or was over my head, because there was a deadline and I was paying for school, You know, I did it and then it just made me realize like you can pump a lot of stuff out. You can produce things. So it's really just given me kind of this tenacity to understand that I can just, I can do anything. And so I feel like we need to put ourselves in those positions. We need to get excited and get overwhelmed and push ourselves to do things we have no clue how to do. And the other piece of that is to get whatever our product is out there because, and I'm not saying don't do everything with excellence, but every book, every revision of my book I've put out has typos in it. You know, there's plenty of social media posts I put out with typos in it. Things aren't perfect. Okay. But at some point you need to get yourself out there. And if you, if, if, Being perfect and making sure you don't have one typo or one wrong thing and your thing's completely perfect, if that takes away from you ever releasing it, then you've done nobody any good. So you just put everything out there as, you know, version one, and then you just expect and know that you're going to get better. One day it's going to be so flipping crisp, but if you don't start with something that's maybe a little shabby, if you don't start, you'll never get to that crisp thing. I know everything is temporary. I know that I have no problem burning things down when I realize they don't work. I've had to burn down the Stable Moments program several different times and have it reborn, right? Each layer of this program I have learned through heartache and through trial and error. And that's why I can bring it to other people because I've learned a lot of the hard mistakes. But if I had never stepped out and done it poorly, if I had never stepped out and done it as a beginner, I would have never gotten to the place that it is today. So find what makes you excited and overwhelmed, something, anything, anything that you're like a little nervous to do, but boy, if you could do it, it would totally light you up. Find that thing and start, start today because you know what? The world needs your potential. I truly believe those things that are, sparking in your brain that are saying that's interesting or I'd like to be good at that. I believe those are God-given. I believe that those are there to say, "Yeah, go with that." That makes that feels light and that feels fun and that feels exciting. Go in that direction and see what you can become. See how how amazing and how creative you can be in that realm. He created us in his image as creators. Right? So I think those little sparks of interest are him encouraging us to to kind of step into that role, step into the best people we can be. The world needs our potential. The world needs us to be the best people we can be and show up that way. So don't think it's selfish. Don't be too scared to try and go out there and find what makes you feel scared and overwhelmed, but also super excited, and let's just start today, okay? Let's make it a point to start today. Okay, I am super stoked, you guys, because our guest today is amazing. She has an incredible resume. Her name is Rebecca Hubbard, and She has 25 years of experience in treating children who have experienced significant trauma. She's a therapist who practices equine-assisted psychotherapy in natural lifemanship. So I just thought that she would be great on this podcast. But guess what we talk about? We talk about when things get super sticky. When you as a mentor, as a program director, as a parent have feelings of like, I don't like this kid, or I don't like this work, or I'm not cut out for this, or this sucks. When we get in the thick of, like, oh, never mind, this is hard. That is what she is going to give us practical tools so that we can stick through those times, grow, and then feel rewarded in our work. So let's do this. Here's Rebecca Hubbard. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma. From foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond, we'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. So... Uh, I know you and I had emailed back and forth and we're, you know, I was trying to think what my community could really use the most of. And I think, you know, I'm always trying to speak to parents and I'm trying to speak to program directors and I'm trying to speak to mentors because we have, and just community members in general, because we have all of those as um, listeners and as people that work with these children. And I know I shared with with you that this is, Non-clinical work, so none of us uh, in the Stable Moments program are supposed to be doing therapy, and may not have any, you know, human services or social work background. And same with parents, right? So, you know, this work can be tough, and I think that one thing that is intimidating for people is when challenges come up. And I, I personally like to tell people that the challenge is the work the the problems the uh this makes me feel uncomfortable the awkwardness the this isn't going right now we're getting into it right now this is the work this is the time that we can show examples and that that we can step in and be a support so can you walk us through you know let's just say a program director or a mentor has a child that is that is being di- Triggered, that they can kind of tell by, we do teach attunement. So they can kind of tell by body language that this kid is getting dysregulated um, or anxious. And the mentor might be saying, shoot, I kind of want to ignore this and just keep going. um, But something's telling me that this is supposed to be the work. What do I do here?
1: That's an excellent question. So one of the things that I think about is when a kid is getting triggered. Um, even if I'm not in a therapeutic role, right, let's say I'm in a support role for a kid, Um, that tells me where they are in their body and in their brain. And I need to be talking to the part of the brain that they're in, right? So if I'm talking to the cognitive piece of the brain, the thinking part, and they're having a, a triggering moment that is getting the survival part of their brain engaged, and I'm trying to rationalize with them, then we're just going to be missing each other, right? So one of the things I try to think about is, okay, I might I might want to ignore it because it makes me feel uncomfortable to say something. Um, but if I ignore it, then it, the kid's just going to go further into the survival part of their brain. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I like to do with kids is get them moving, okay? When I notice that we have something happening like that, I want to get them moving. Sometimes I just toss a ball back and forth. Sometimes we're walking side by side, right? And we won't say a word. We're just going to, I'm going to use my body, my heart rate, my walking to help regulate that kid. And after I can see that their body is starting to calm down, now then I'm going to go and try to talk about whatever it was that I was trying to address before. I always let kids know what I noticed once they're calm, because kids need to know it too. They need to understand what their body is doing mm-hmm. and maybe understand why it did it and what they can do to help themselves because that's a really powerless feeling when you feel like you're hijacked by different parts of your brain and you might not want to do the things that your brain and body are doing and yet you feel like you're powerless to stop it. Um, so I, that's what one of the best things to do is get kids moving. That is the best thing that you can do. Um, because it gives them a sense of uh, power, control, direction. You're doing something together and it's regulating at the same
0: time. I love that. So um, so then you get the kid moving and you're feeling like this was this was good and this is a regulation activity and the kid's kind of coming around. So is the language just, I noticed something was hard for you. Is it I noticed that, do you, tell, do you tell them that you noticed the exact behavior? I usually t- say, I noticed that when we were talking about
1: this, your body tensed up.
2: Mm.
1: Your raw muscles tensed up. You held your breath. And I knew that your body was telling me this was really hard. Okay? I love that. And your so, body
0: was telling me that this was really hard for you. Yes. Yes.
1: So the kid can feel understood, right? Because the kid might say, but I wasn't upset. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can be in two different uh, parts of your brain at the same time, your body can be going crazy. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm not upset. I don't know why my heart's beating so fast. But most kids aren't even connected to their body so they don't even know that their heart is beating fast or that they're holding their breath or that their muscles are all like this they can't tell
0: yeah and they might think that it it was wrong that they're being pointed out like i noticed you know you tensed up and then they're like oh shoot is is this mentor gonna like me oh shoot did i do something wrong right and so they it's really important to help kids understand
1: why we talk about our body responses because I will even talk about mine. Mm-hmm. I will say if if I'm talking with a kid and the kid says something and I notice that my stomach clenched up. As we're talking about this, I will say when it's appropriate, I'll say, you know, I noticed when you said whatever, that my my tummy really got tight. And I have to listen to that. I'm like, what is it that my tummy is tight about? So I'm modeling for them. That that I'm gonna listen to my body, right? Because my body is giving me a lot of information. You know, one of the things that I think we don't do very well as humans is listen to this vessel that we live in. It's an instrument and and it's an amazing instrument for attunement, for regulation, for helping someone feel heard, for understanding something on a deeper level. Right. You know, horses have really helped me a lot with that, right? Because they listen at at such a different level. And so really being able to pick up on their subtle cues and then start to notice mine and my own body when that's happening with horses has really helped me be able to get better at listening. But I think that's one of the best things we can do as mentors, as therapists, as foster parents, as parents is to be able to be attuned to our body and listen more to it because it has a wealth of information and knowledge and wisdom
0: yeah that pausing and listening and and horses give us such good feedback that we can usually get some type of feedback from the horse so that we can do this exercise even when we're brushing or we're walking or if leaves rustle and we go oh like what's the horse telling us We can do that same thing with our bodies and kind of get this dialogue going with the horse Mm -hmm. so that it's just normal to talk about our reactions and what we're, what our body's telling us, what the horse is telling us.
1: Right. Yeah. And if I think a kid's brain, you had said earlier, the kid might think the mentor doesn't like them if they, you know, notice this about them. If I feel that that's what a kid is saying, I I might just name it. I might say, you know, I noticed that when I was talking about what your body did, that it looked like your brain was saying some really mean things to you. Is Mm. that possible that that was happening? And then I don't name it yet. I wait, and the kid might say, yeah. And a lot of times they get really suspicious, like, how did you know? Can you read my mind? (laughs) You know. And one of the things I always let them know is that. when we have lots of people have mean thoughts in their brain you know that sometimes I have mean thoughts in my brain well you should have done it this way well that was stupid why did you do it like that that person doesn't like you so you know helping them understand that's part of the normal human experience you know that we're all going through and um, when we can say it then somebody
0: can help us with it if that makes sense it totally makes sense so talk to me about when your completely normal human experience interacts with somebody else's completely normal human experience and we have a, a mentor that gets frustrated or um, a, a program director that's, that is pissed off. Maybe they're pissed off at the mentor. Maybe they're pissed off at the kid. I don't know. Um, but maybe there's like this, maybe they're triggered. Like a kid just said a story about their dad and now the the parent, the, the mentor's having things come up about their dad and they're like, "Ooh, this is deep. Like I wasn't ready. This was supposed to be about you. So how do we mm-hmm. be kind to ourselves while we remain present for the child and quickly kind of redirect ourselves out of I'm, I'm kind of getting agitated with this situation.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, That's an excellent question. It happens all the time because we're all human, right? And we have our own experiences that are wired into our bodies. Um, And so for when that happens for me, because it has in my career, one of the things I've learned is to notice it instead of trying to push it down Mm -hmm. and ignore it when I push it down and ignore it, it gets bigger, right? So when I notice it, I say, oh, that's reminding me of this. Then I can notice it and I can say, I'm gonna talk to someone about that after this. In other words, I've given myself a little box, little frame that says, this is important. I'm not gonna talk about it right now. If a kid notices me, like maybe my eyes welled up with tears. Mm. or maybe I looked really angry, um, then I'm not going to say to the kid, oh, I wasn't feeling sad, or no, I wasn't feeling angry, because then I'm just making the kid feel crazy, right? Because they saw what they saw. So I usually will say, my body was having a lot of feelings about what you said. Mm. I don't have to say to them, right? Oh, I was remembering blah, 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 right? It's it's usually enough to say that I was having some feelings about that. Wow, that really hit me in my heart, you know? Um, and often when we admit it, then kids feel more connected to us. Even if we were angry, you know? Um, because we can be angry and be a safe person. Hmm. I can be really frustrated that I've asked you to sit down for the thousandth time and you're spinning around the office, you know, and everything's flying everywhere. I can be upset about that and still be a safe person. And that's what people have to learn. You know, I remember one time I had a little guy in my office. He was about seven, maybe eight years old. And he took it. This is back when I didn't use a laptop. It was a desktop. And he took the monitor, and he had it over his head like this, and he was threatening to throw it to the ground. And I remember having this moment, like, do I try to protect the monitor? And I was like, but I'm not here for the monitor. If the monitor breaks, it breaks. I'm here for this kid. And he was having enormous, scary emotions for himself. He was terrified. And he was doing everything he could to try to get me to react in the way that he expected adults to react right and I didn't and the monitor didn't get busted now Mm -hmm. I think that might be a very lucky thing that the monitor didn't get busted but I decided that the monitor wasn't the most important thing Mm -hmm. that he was and you know when you can you make that shift kids can feel it they can really feel it they know where you're connecting Is it the stuff or is it me? I remember him right before he graduated. um, He sat down next to me and he said, do you remember the time that I was going to break your computer? And I was like, I do remember the time you were going to break my computer. He said, I knew you loved me then. And I was like, kind of speechless. I was like, "How, how did you know that? And he said, because you didn't really care what happened to your computer. You were only caring about me.
0: Wow.
1: My words didn't say that. It was my body, and it was my energy, and it was everything I was paying attention to was about him and not about what got broken or didn't get broken.
0: Wow. And, and he translated it it in that. a very
1: yes, that's how he, that's how he translated that. Yeah.
0: That's incredible.: And
1: so it's going to happen. We're going to get triggered. We're going to have a lot of big emotions. Uh, when we work with people, it's going to happen. And so it's just really important for you to recognize it, uh, to validate it for yourself. It's okay that that came up for me. It's okay that I'm having these feelings. Um, And I can talk about that later. If you are so triggered that you can't like put it to the side, then it would be at that time that you'd be able to say something to the kid like, you know, I'm gonna have to cut our meeting short today, and then go and talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing to do is to pretend like it didn't happen, because it will happen again.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's, there's a balance. I had, a, I had a, a situation with a mentor that had gotten triggered. S- something about her dad you know, was coming up, and I, she went ahead and labeled it, said, I'm having some feelings about my dad. And then went and told her all about her situation with her dad and was, you know, kind of crying and had to really intervene and say, like, "Ooh, we're not doing this here. Um, so there is a there is a validation of feelings and exemplifying that yes, I as a human are having am having feelings now, and we have feelings, right? And things can make us want to cry, and that's okay. Um, and then trying to either bookmark it or like you said which I loved was if you're at a point where you're like holy smokes this is hitting me and I can't even be present then at least mentors in our program have the option of tagging out with like the program director and saying like hey I need to take five minutes and even telling a kid I had to take five minutes is okay the inappropriateness comes in self-disclosing these things with let me tell you a child that may have never had a dad so probably doesn't care you know it's it really seems inappropriate to bring up, you know, a squabble that you had with your dad. Um, right. So, so yeah, I think that that labeling it and validating it doesn't mean, which is so important for our non-clinical people, doesn't mean going into it, doesn't mean
2: going right. into the depths right. of
0: it. Right, because then what
1: happens if you go into your stuff, you've lost your focus on the kid, and you're there for the kid the kid's not there for you. You're there for them. And there are other adults, hopefully in your life who are there for you, that you can share that stuff with That's more appropriate, but for the kid, if it stops being focused on the kid, you know, as a mentor, I'd say we have a problem because that's the whole reason you're there is to help this kid.
2: Right. And you are,
0: and that's, that is the, the rule of self-disclosure. Is it of benefit and by validating and showing a kid, I'm having feelings. It is, it is about them. It benefits them by showing that you have feelings and that they're not alone in when they have feelings. Right. And just not going, yeah, further. And even not only going further with um, not only going further with your story, but you don't have to feel like if you're a support person that you need to dig into their story. You can be there and say this, you know, I can see like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to get frustrated without saying, you know, what was it? Or are you remembering your mom? Or, you know, we're not therapists. We're not trying to dig in. You can be a support person and hold that space for empathy by just saying that you notice using some of this language that has, Rebecca has shared with us uh, without trying to go further. Right, right. Because
1: really the power is in the moment. Mm-hmm the power is in what you're providing the kid in this very moment, that you're listening to them with your whole heart, your whole body, that you're completely present. That is what changes the kid's life. It's not about discussing hard things. It's about you being there when they're having difficult emotions or that things are going on in their lives, right? Because what they believe usually is that nobody wants to, nobody likes me when I feel this way Mm -hmm. or or when I have feelings. So I have to pretend not to have them. Mm -hmm. And we know that's not very healthy, right? So that's the best thing a person can do is just be there Mm -hmm. with your whole self.
2: I love that.
0: Well, so this work can easily kind of be a mirror and help you identify your work. So I know, you know, we're saying, oh, if you feel triggered, that's completely normal. And Uh, you might want to look at that at a later time, say, Oh, I noticed my body felt this way. And I have gone as far. I remember as an early case manager, there were, there was a parent or two that I would go to my supervisor and I, I just, Oh, I just don't like her. Literally was my feelings. I just don't like her. And of course my supervisors were like, okay, well, it's not about, we're we're not in the business of liking people. We're in the business of helping people. Um, But our bodies quickly or our minds quickly justify as like i'm just going to wrap that person up as somebody i don't like and put them over there and hope that i don't need to go any deeper into what is really coming up for me because there's a reason right. that this is just a mom with a kid I, there's there's no fault of hers so this is right. just a kid in our program or these are just parents in our program and i i think it's natural for us to get to this point of just if they would just go away if they would just change, you know, this program would be great. So what is that really telling us about us and how can we dive into that work?
1: Okay. That's a great question. I
0: think that when that happens, when there's somebody
1: we don't like, you know, for whatever reason, I I think it's great to go to therapy and to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's you. It's about you. It's not about that person. Right. Um, But in the moment, you can't go to therapy. I mean, you can't, you know, say, right. okay, see ya. I'm going to therapy now. <laughs> you mm-hmm. have to do whatever your job is in that moment. So what I hit me very early on in my career, I had a mom who terrified me. It wasn't that I didn't like her. I was scared to death of her. Mm. I dreaded going to her home and to see her. And I remember, I don't even remember who told me, but somebody said, find something you like about her. Mm. And I was thinking that is impossible impossible this is what i was thinking impossible but i sat and sat and thought and thought and i did find not only one thing but several things i really liked about her about her being a parent about how she took care of her kid how she listened so well and lots of different things in the moment that i identified those the feelings i had they were still there but they were not driving the bus so to speak they were not Mm -hmm. taking me places i didn't necessarily want to go and i felt like i had much more ability to interact with her and a better way here's the thing people know when you don't like them for whatever reason they know they can feel it they might not be able to articulate it but they know and their bodies tense up too and and so it is. It behooves us if we're going to do this work to be able to soften our bodies to find things we like about this person. Because usually, when you find one thing and you start to soften about them, then you find more and more and more. If whatever it was that was bothering you about that person is smaller piece of that, and then you can work on that on your own time. That's when you should work on it, not with the client, and work on. You know, let these other pieces uh, be in the forefront for you, because your clients will know. Right. Um, I used to people used to say to me all the time, why don't you have a high no-show rate? Your clients come. They may be, they might be 45 minutes late, <laughs> but they come. They, why? Why? And I said, because I don't care how long how much they're late, I'm gonna say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so sorry we only have 15 minutes, but let's let's connect and let's talk for a few minutes. I don't just say, hey. You know, you're late. Uh, I don't have time. we need to reschedule because I, I wouldn't like that as a person. Mm. If I struggled to get wherever I was, uh, then i I would feel ashamed if somebody, you know, kind of told me, "Nope, you're late, I, I can't see you." Now, I won't see them past their appointment time because right. that's not fair to my next client, right. you know, But I do want them to know that I understand that it t- it was hard. It was hard to get there,
2: Mm.
1: you know? I had a kid show up one time for a seven o'clock appointment. She was 11, I think, and she showed up by herself uh, at 7.45. And I was like, where's your mom? She said, well, my mom got stuck at work, so I took the bus to come and see you. Now, that was a kid, I usually left at eight, I stayed and did a, a session with her, because she took an enormous amount of effort uh, to do that. And that meant it meant something to her. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to say, well, we only have 15 minutes. I didn't have another client. So I was able to give her extra time, you know, but when people buy in, you have to let them know that you notice how hard they're trying. Cause people usually are doing the best they can.
0: Absolutely. I, I have a, question off that. So uh, we had a, I've had parents before, of of course, you're going to have parents that come late. These are like, sometimes they're bringing seven kids in a passenger van up to the barn. So you're going to have late people. But um, I I had a mom once that would have her kids uh, apologize every time and then say why they made them late. And it was really a very, like, beautiful intention from the mom, because she was trying to tell us, like, I value this service, I value that you guys are here waiting, and I'm going to teach my kids that, like, it's not okay, Uh, but I felt like it started moving into this, like, every time we were starting sessions on reporting something negative, and I just didn't like the tone of, we have to start with an apology, and then we can go in, so What would you do for program directors that are listening? um, What would you recommend to uh, say to the parents or to kind of shift how we're entering sessions when we're late?
1: First off, that's a very good thing to notice what was happening, you know, in your body around that. Right. Because as you said, it was well intentioned, but it felt like it was going somewhere else. Um, Usually I want to talk to the parent about that. You know, and so if I can, I would want to talk to the parent by themselves. I don't want to talk about this in front of seven kids. You know, that's not okay because I want the parent to be able to listen and to be able to tell me whatever that is that they need to tell me. And so I just would say what you just said. Gosh, you know, I've noticed um, that you're wanting very much to teach Johnny about responsibility and being on time and that how it impacts our relationship when he's late. And I appreciate that effort. And I'm also, though, noticing that Johnny is feeling a lot of shame around this. Mm. You know, there's a difference between shame and guilt, right? Guilt is I did something wrong I need to make amends for. Shame is I'm a bad person. Mm. And we don't want Johnny to feel like a bad person, right? And so I would problem solve with her. Like, how could we do this differently? You know, this is what you're wanting to teach him. But you're not wanting to teach him this other thing. So how could we problem solve that a little bit differently? And that's, that's the way I would try to handle that. And if mom's okay with it, I would bring Johnny into the conversation around that point and say, hey, you know, I've noticed that you're working on being on time. Let's talk about how are we going to handle that when you're on time, when you're late? What are we going to do? So we have a ritual around it. think that help would help mom that would help johnny and that definitely help us as a program right that we know we all know how we're going to handle
2: it absolutely I i
0: i love that so much and i love like as soon as you start to feel these things other people are feeling these things too and they don't have the answers either and so they're looking for how can we work this out so that i mean mom probably felt guilt um the kid felt shame and And we were there going, oh, like, we can manage this better. And I think it's so important to have these conversations as soon as we notice them. And I'll just say, like, like, in this situation, uh, this kid could, this actually happened, the same family, same kid, started running away when it was time to come to the farm. And it ended up being, not that he didn't want to come to the farm, he didn't want to report, he knew he was going to be late again, so he would rather just not go. He you know what I mean? He didn't want to report yeah. that he made us late. So it really spiraled kind of out of control. So not only, you know, noticing these things, but bringing them up and just having a really transparent conversation with mom. And I think it, I think it really, it's connected to what you just said about when you're starting to feel like, feelings of I don't like this person or I don't like this kid, which are valid feelings, I think, uh, for foster parents, for program directors, for mentors. When you think about things you do like about the kid, I I use the same kind of thing when I would notice when I used to do home visits and I would notice parents, the first thing they would do is report all the bad behavior that happened that that month or that week. They would say, I'm glad you're here. She's been, you know, stealing. And so I I would say, I want to start my time when I enter the house. I want to start with three things that we did awesome uh, this month. Of course, we'll end up talking through some of your challenge points. Um, and that was me as a case manager, not necessarily what um, what people in this program will be doing. But starting off with, I remember at one of those times when that kid jumped out and he said, his mom was saying that he was late. I had asked him, what's something that you're super proud of this week? Um, And tried to reframe it right in that moment because I could see the shame cloud was coming over and here I am looking, waiting for an apology. I felt completely uncomfortable taking. And so I tried to shift that in that moment. Now, I will say asking a kid what they're proud of that week can also be shame inducing because if if they feel like they're worthless and they don't do anything right, then now they can't come up with something they're proud of. You might've just like compounded this shame feeling. But I do do like this idea of reporting positive things off the get-go and thinking of things you like about a kid. Would you suggest, or if you're a program director or a case manager or somebody like that, thinking of something you like about this parent, would you suggest verbalizing those things? Yes, I think that it's important to be transparent
1: with a parent right i mean if i'm feeling uncomfortable about what's happening and i'm worried about my relationship with johnny and and mom and then i'm going to want to have a conversation about that i do think it helps to have rituals i have rituals that i start my time with kids with the same way and i end them the same way i think that's okay and i that helps parents to know Yes, we're gonna talk about these things and we're also gonna get to my concerns, you know? Mm. And I also try to help parents know how to report their concerns, okay? Because those are the growing edge things. That's the way I discuss them. Those are the things we're learning, Mm. right? If I'm struggling with whatever it is, that's your growing edge. This is what we're working on, okay? And I just tell kids, it's important for me to know where you did well this week and where you struggled so that I know how best to keep helping you right what do we need to work on to help that go better for you instead of it being report you know you're a bad kid all these things you know if the parents know how to how to give you that information then they don't have to overly bash the kid you know i tell parents all the time look i'm not the trouble place you don't bring your kid here so that i will tongue lash them or that i will straighten them up because if that worked you wouldn't have to bring your kid here, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So I don't have any magic pill. I don't have any magic that if I say this, your kid's going to magically do better. It's about us building a, a relationship together. You know, us as a team, me, mom, dad, kid. And usually when parents understand that and they understand where you, they give the feedback Then it goes a little smoother, no matter what kind of program you're running.
0: Does that I, make sense. That. I yeah, I love that. And I think the more structured, you know, we talk about being structured and flexible, of course, uh, but the more clarity you can provide of what your service is and how we communicate and the approach we take, uh, right? The more you will feel in control, and you will give that, you know, kind of gift to the parents and the kids of, okay, this is how this runs. This feels safe to me. This is structured, but with your um, like trying to find three things or one thing or whatever that you like about someone. Do you find that because people know that, because people can feel that you don't like them, if you've identified something, it wouldn't it be appropriate to go as far as to verbalize that. Like, if you're like, okay, I love when this kid smiles, that's what I'm going to say. So like to tell that kid next time that they jump out of the car with a smile, dude, I love that smile. I love seeing that smile when you come here. Um, just try to start like shifting that energy of, mm, I'm normally nervous about my, my sessions with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think our bodies tell the kid. Okay. Right. I think when that kid jumps out and, he, that, and that kid smiles and is beaming, you know, and you feel that in your body, the kid knows, mm. you know, that you're excited to see them. Yeah, you know, Your words can match that, but if your words say one thing and your body doesn't say the same thing, then they're going to not trust your words, mm. right? So it's much more important that you feel it in your body and you let your body speak more than your words speaking, if that makes sense.
0: It totally does. So I think it's a good exercise for any program director that has mentors if they notice their mentors just having a hard time with a particular kid or personality types or, or uh, power struggles or whatever they're going through, if the first question the program director can ask is, What, what are you loving about sessions or what do you love about this kid? Um, and then I would obviously do that exercise with program directors for parents, um, so that we can shift how we're looking. There's so many times that uh, that I just going through the adoption history or the foster care history with a parent, I noticed this huge shift. like they remember the beginning. They remember when that kid came to them and how much progress they've made. but but being in the thick of it today right now is difficult. So sometimes you know it's our job to kind of hold the thirty thousand foot view of that framework.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: really like yeah. that. And I also think it's super important when you're hearing all the progress this kid's made that you can verbalize it back to the parent, to that foster parent or adoptive parent, whoever it is, right? Because they forget. I can't tell you how many times a parent will bring a kid in for services. We've seen them for a while, they've made a ton of progress, and the parent says, He's not getting any better. Things are just the same. And I take out my intake paperwork and I look at it and I read it out loud. And the parent says, Who's that? I said, That's what you said about your kid. And they're like, You're kidding. I said that? Like, Yeah, don't you remember? And then they start thinking back and they're like, Oh my gosh, we have come so far. Right. Uh, And I think it's important to be able to show that we have come far or that a kid is brave, Mm. you know, or a kid is strong or, um, A kid um, is able to tell the truth even when it's cost them everything. Mm. Right? These are things that sometimes we don't notice, right? And these are huge things that we can grasp about who is this kid? You know, how does it, how has this kid survived whatever it is that they've survived? How have they done that? Because that's an amazing thing to know and to connect with. Um, and a kid who is strong and courageous is going to probably be very controlling and hard-headed mm-hmm. because they had to be in order to, to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And so when a kid is starting to try to control everything, you know, one of the things I try to do is breathe into that and say, that's a skill. That's a really good skill to have. So how do I help this kid feel some control over what's happening right now so that they can relax? Because what the kid's telling me is, I don't feel safe. You know, if I'm having to control everything that's happening here, I'm telling you, in in every way I know how, I don't feel safe. And so then that's my job to figure out, well, what can we do to help this kid feel safe? Mm. Right? And it's usually something you have to kind of uh, be a, a detective with. Because a kid isn't going to be able to tell you in their words, right? They're not going to say, well, if you would do this, this, and this, I'd feel safer. Most of the time, they can't identify it. And if you ask them, they would say, that's not true. I don't feel safe. I feel fine. Right? Because it would be vulnerable to tell you that I felt unsafe. Mm
2: -hmm. And that
1: might make me more unsafe. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In their world, where they came
0: from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we can't stress enough uh, just telling kids what they can expect, adding to their uh, safety, um, letting, in our program, we allow kids to engage in a three-part plan. They develop their plan so that we can refer back to, it's their plan, giving them some opportunity to have some choice in what they're doing. Uh, But yeah, I mean, understanding when we have, it's pretty normal for us, especially in a like, adult-child relationship for us to kind of impose what we're telling somebody to do, impose directives and kind of take that choice away. Um, So I really love reading that behavior as, I don't feel safe. And regardless of what that behavior is, if that's what you read it as, if a kid were to come up to you and say, I don't feel safe, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. How can I help you? So that whether it looks like cussing or acting out or you know, kicking dirt or whatever they're doing, yeah. If we can respond to that as I don't feel safe, then it allows us to not react but respond in that empathetic space that's gonna be helpful for our sessions.
1: Right. That's right. Because if you brace against it. Which, we, which is common for us to do, right? right. When we get in these power struggles with kids, we, our bodies race against it. Then we're just proving to the kid that there was something that they needed to protect themselves about this relationship, right? That I was going to be domineering, that I was going to take away their choices, that I was going to somehow be controlling of them. Then when we do that, we get in that power struggle, we're just reaffirming that for them. So it's just gonna increase. The power struggle is just going to increase. But when you look at it differently and your body softens, then usually kids are like, their little faces get a little confused, you know? They're like, what just happened, right? They're not gonna ask you that, but they're gonna be like, what's going on, you know? I had a kid recently, I was thinking about him because he has a horrific trauma history and he came to session and he was here maybe two minutes we were having a great conversation he was lively he was bright and in about two minutes he just tanked he just started shutting down his little shoulders started slumping and he uh stopped responding and I, and my brain is just like what happened you know and the only thing i could think was Something happened that I'm not aware of. Maybe I said something, maybe I did something, you know, but I was responsible for this. So I just said, hey, let's go to the pond. And I just started walking and he just followed and we didn't speak at all. We got to the pond and I just started throwing rocks in the pond and I think we threw rocks for 15 minutes. He eventually was throwing with me, we were throwing. He started talking to me a little bit. And once he started talking, I said, hey, what happened? And he said, I just started feeling really sad and I don't know why, it just happens like that sometimes and I just don't know what to do. So, but if I had tried to come at it full head, he would have just shut down more. Mm-hmm. So it did something that was regulating and rhythmic and, it, and it, you know, it was repetitive, right? Throwing rocks. And basically I started to pick up rocks and just handed it to him. So he had one after another, mm-hmm. after another to throw right so that he started getting rhythmic patterned and repetitive input in his body and he regulated mm. and he was doing it with me and then well i didn't even have to prompt him or ask him he just started telling me about it and i think we can never underestimate the power of doing things like that together right things that help to to speak to the survival part of our brain you know mm. if he was a baby we would have just picked the little rascal up and petted him and rocked and we would have thought nothing of it. But because he's like nine, we're like, I have no idea what to do. But in reality, it's the same thing. We just can't pick them up and hold them, right? But we can do rhythmic pattern and repetitive things, which are the same thing as holding that baby and rocking and petting them, right? But we have to do them out here together. But it's the same input, basically, if that makes sense.
0: It so does. Can you give, so if there are mentors or program directors that, or parents that are like, yes, my kid gets dysregulated or shuts down or whatever. And I know that I need that. I know that I need that outlet, but you know, the way you did, it was so beautiful where you just said, Hey, let's go to the pond. And you made it, you didn't make it this, like, let's engage in a dysregulate, you know, regulating activity or whatever. So can you give some, like, just really common, typical uh, regulating activities that somebody can just kind of shift shift gears and go into?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, for
1: people at home, rocking chairs or are, are gliders so they are great interventions. Um, for the barn, a barrel, having kids sit on a barrel and, and just rock from foot to foot mm. is really a great way of being able to, that's actually, if we're gonna sit at a round pin, I have a barrel for the kid and usually I sit on one too. So that way we're doing the same thing and the kid will just naturally go foot to foot, foot to foot. And then that helps them to regulate if they weren't already regulated. Um, Bubbles are great ways of getting kids engaged and teaching them how to, to calm their bodies down, Um, trying to get them to blow the largest bubble they can. Mm -hmm. Right. Or if they're little kids, the same size bubbles, as many bubbles as they can, but they're all the same size, right? So they're learning how to control their breath, but they don't really know they're learning how to control their breath, they're just doing bubbles, right? So that's really great. Playing catch, kicking a ball back and forth are great ways of doing that. Kids who like to cook, using a rolling pin is another really great thing, kneading dough, Mm. mixing, you know. These are all things that we do in our lives that we don't even realize are rhythmic,
2: right?
1: -hmm. Even sweeping is very rhythmic. you have kids who love to sweep and you're like, why do you love to sweep? Mm -hmm. But it's sometimes it's just the rhythm of it Mm -hmm. and that it accomplishes something. Right. And so you just have to sort of be creative. There's a thousand things in people's homes. We use drums a lot because drums have been used and, uh, gosh, societies for eons, Uh, and so we started using drums to help kids express things that they can't say for us to be able to connect, and when we work with families, we do a lot of drumming, and it's amazing how connected they leave feeling, and we might not have said any words. We might not have said anything. We might have only used the drums to express whatever it is that we needed to express, and yet, it feels like this weight has been lifted off of you. Mm. So I think drumming is great. Uh, People don't have drums. We, we live in a drum, you know, body percussion is a really great thing for teach kids Mm. uh, all the different sounds your body can make, you know, so you can clap your hands in like five different ways to make it make different sounds, teaching kids that and helping them do that rhythmically is really cool. Uh, hand games we used to play when we were kids you know the the ones where you double clap very rhythmic kids love it I can't can't do them very well but parents (laughs) usually are pretty good at it and it gives them something to do together that's rhythmic and and patterned and repetitive and they it feels good to them because they're also connecting right so you just I think be creative that's the best thing I can tell you because there's a ton of things out there you know, some parents like to dance and use music, and that's great, too. You know, use whatever the kid really enjoys.
0: I love that, and especially with the, like, the hand-clapping things that kids do, it's a good opportunity for them to teach you if they know one, and yes. if you don't, then they can be the, <laughs> yes. the one that teaches you, which is helpful, too. I absolutely love that so much because when I was building this program, I, I just felt like there was such a gap between there, there wasn't like a, a learning component or a place for community mentors to really be in because I felt like it was therapy or nothing. And as I was hanging out with kids as a case manager, I was like, we are not doing anything special. Like, yeah, having a social work degree might help. But a lot of times we we're like swinging on swings. We are pouring into somebody, investing time, like I'm learning about them. I'm showing them like, wow, dude, you've done come so far and building them up and validating their feelings. I'm like, this doesn't take, a lot of people can be this person to someone. Yes. yes. You know, so I love that. It's not this like crazy curriculum you need to read and implement with a kid to get these desired results. It's like, you can play in a rice bin. You can, you know, you can kick a ball. You can yep. do drums and it can actually be just doing drums. You don't need to make it right. all clinical and therapeutic. No, right. I mean, it is therapeutic. Yes. But we, it's healing in and of healing. itself.
1: Yes. You don't have to do anything else, right? But I think you're speaking very much the power of presence.
2: Mm. When you
1: are present really in a person's life, you're really there, you're really fully present. You're not doing a grocery list in your head as you're sitting there with them, right? It ch- That changes us, right? It changes us as we connect, as our biologies connect, our nervous systems connect. We change in those moments of being truly present with each other. And that's what I would hope any mentor really can learn and understand. It is being fully there in your body, emotionally and physically hundred percent in that moment giving to this person and this time in this relationship that will change you and this kid.
0: It's so good. This has been so rich. I, I want to really, really thank you for your time and all of your experience and sharing this wisdom with us. Is there um, a way for us to follow or support the work that you're doing?
1: yeah sure um
0: you can follow us
1: on our facebook page it's pecan creek ranch and it's in georgetown texas we post a lot of different videos and blogs and things that we try to speak to the human experience or what's going on with horses it's a it's all relational because that's the work we do uh work with relationship with self and others in our higher power um So most people, that's where they follow us. We also have a website um, and a LinkedIn page, but most of it right now is on our Facebook page. But we'd be glad to have people contact us and and talk to us about anything that they need further support on.
0: I love that. Well, thank you for being a resource. I know that um, we can't get enough good resources and I will make sure to link to all of your stuff, but go on uh, to the show notes if you're listening and make sure you like them on Facebook so that you can follow them and see all of their practical, awesome advice. And um, oh, this has just been so good. Thank you so much for your time. And, I've enjoyed it very much. And, and doing this work, you just, you're, you're such an asset to this field really.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you for doing this podcast. It was really a lot of fun. And it's, I think it's very helpful for people. So it's, it's a great gift. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Ah, I'm so grateful for people like Rebecca who are willing to just come on and you know, teach us, help us learn, right? And she gave us some real hope because so many of these activities and so many of the things that she suggested that we do were non-clinical, simple, and they just made sense, right? Ah, so I feel a little bit more equipped to go out and be in this world and work with kids. I hope that you feel a little bit more equipped and that you try some of these things next time you notice a kid getting dysregulated. Next time you notice that something in your heart, something in your body is going, oh, I feel tense. When you notice something in a child being able to say to them, like, I just noticed your body got tense right there. Heck, We could use this with our spouses, right? We could say like, hey, I just noticed your body got tense right there. What's up? Uh, What a a better way to enter into a conversation rather than assume something, right? Or ignore something, right? All right. I am so excited to tell you guys that the Stable Moments podcast now has a Facebook group because I don't want to just talk to myself. I want to hear feedback from you guys how it's going a place where you can interact with me interact with others that are listening ask your questions and just be part of the community right i really want to build a more trauma informed community somewhere where all program directors mentors community mentor community members and parents can be and feel safe and we can kind of you know build this community together so please go on your Facebook and search for Stable Moments Podcast. You'll find the group and ask to join. I would love to have you guys in there. I know this episode went a bit long and I so was last week's was going a bit long and that's why I made it part one and part two. If you guys like the part one, part twos better because you only have a half hour or so to listen to a podcast, I can do that. I can totally break down content so that we're only doing about a half hour per episode. But if you're fine and you want to hear all of the the good stuff from one person at one time i'm okay with doing the hours as well i just i want to hear from you guys so if you have an opinion about that go ahead and tell me in the the facebook group it should be a good place for you guys to leave some feedback i also want to thank you guys um for the month of august i am doing a book drawing so anyone who leaves a review in the month of august is entered into a drawing to get my stable moments book building life skills for healthy transitions into adulthood. So if you want to enter in that drawing, you just need to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then you need to take a screenshot of it and send it to my email. That's Rebecca at stablemoments.com. All right, this week's review comes from Shan Lin. She says, thank you for bringing this to the forefront great show that talks about things others don't want to face even if you weren't in the foster system you can benefit from this show well thank you so much Shanlin. these make my day and of course help others find our podcast this has been so much fun you guys i will talk to you next week